Welcome back to Defenders Dialogue with Car and Adam. This is episode 17. The Adventures of Kyle Richmond, Boy Hostage. Really? Yes. What? <laughs> you don't like it. <laughs> I'm Adam Phillips, president of UntoldStoriesMarketing.com. And with me, as always, is... Cardi Angelo, owner of Earth 2 Comics in Sherman Oaks and Northridge, California. Fantastic. And we're going to be talking about Defenders number 36 and 37 today. But before we get into that, I had a couple of things I wanted to bring up. Car, I have a confession to make. What? I've fallen a little behind on my editing. So instead of these notes being about episode 16... They're about episode 15. I'm sorry. I forgive you. <laughs> but will the listeners forgive me? That's the real question. They're going to listen to issue episode 16 and go, I can't believe he didn't follow up that stuff from episode 15. It's just sitting there waiting to be followed up on. Yeah, exactly. But I do have a couple of things I wanted to bring up. One is that we were talking about the title of, ugh, what issue was it? Like 34, I think. That was called Webbed Hands, Warm Heart. We were both scratching our heads over that. And then I realized, oh, the webbed hands are the Ludbertites. Oh. It's like, it's so, they don't make a big impact in the, in the long run. And uh, we're going to have more to say about that, I think, when we talk about these issues today. And I, and I think the, the webbed hands are like the last thing you notice about them. <laughs> yeah, right? And truthfully, there's not much to notice about them in a weird way. I mean, they look... They look strange or whatever, but they just don't have much personality. Uh, yes, as I've said, the boring cousins of the Badoon. Yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. So there was that. And then the other thing I wanted to bring up was the Defenders were captured by the Headmen, and Dr. Nagin put helmets on them to change their brainwaves so they would... And, and it, it, what was the effect of that supposed to be? Because it doesn't seem to have done anything. Remember, they got out of those helmets and woke up and started asking questions. And then two minutes later, they were all fighting anyway. It, That's it like true. It did, it did not seem to do anything. And I, I haven't seen any indication that, like, some weird, subtle change has happened with them. They seem just like their regular selves. I'm going to suggest we put a pin in that. Oh, okay. Okay. You think there's more coming? Because I don't remember it if there is. I, I saw something... And I can't even remember where, where I saw it now, but I, I saw something that I was like, oh, that's interesting. But it's more it was a commentary that I saw, so I don't know if it really happens in the issues or not. So that's why I'll, mm -hmm. well, when we come across the commentary, though, we can talk about it maybe. Okay. And then this is just a minor thing, but we were talking about Jim Mooney as a ghost for Bob Kane. And my recollection, now that I thought about it a little further, was that Bob Kane did have a studio, I think, in the 40s. And he, you know, he was doing the, the thing where he was hiring people to draw the comics and then he was basically handing them into the editors. Sure. But at, at some point, the studio dissolved and DC took over the assigning of the art and they just basically paid Bob Kane. An honorarium. An honorarium of some kind. So I, I don't know when that happens exactly, but sometime like in the mid maybe 50s or earlier even, the um, responsibility of assigning and scheduling and receiving the artwork and all that goes uh, straight to D.C. And that I think that's when he had people, they had people like Shelley Maldoff doing all those comics. 
Right. There were still in in, in the sixties, even with the new look, there was still yeah. one of my favorite words, a bifurcation where uh-huh. you'd have like a new look Carmen Infantino story that looked really yeah. cool and really dynamic and maybe in the other, the second story in the issue or the next issue would be a, a Shelley Maldoff Batman looks kind of goofy issue. Yes. Yeah. My favorite thing in the, a lot of those issues, mostly from the fifties, there are tons and tons of Batman and detective comics covers where Batman is dealing with some villain. You know where I'm going, don't you? <laughs> yeah. And Robin is like in the corner going, Batman, look out. Yeah, corner Robin covers. It's like he had to be there, but he really wasn't wasn't doing anything. Yeah, I right. think I noticed that phenomenon, and I don't know if it's there's a preponderance in detective more than Batman, but I remember when there were those little I mean, they were very small books. They were like two inches by three inches, and it was like a thousand cover not well it wasn't a thousand because there weren't a thousand. Oh, I know the ones you're talking about. Yes. But it was like the golden age covers. Yep. Of Batman, the Golden Age covers of Detective. It was like every Batman and Detective cover, and I think they did Action and Superman as well, and maybe Wonder, and Wonder Woman. Woman. Yep. Those are and great books. Those are great little books, and you know because you sort of go because there is something about just seeing the comic, right? That's what sometimes you went to a convention just to flip through the books just to see comics you hadn't seen before, and you kind of just would file them in your mental file, like, oh, I'd like to read that someday, but at least now I know what what the cover looks like, and I know what order it comes in in, in the thing. But you flip through that, and it is almost like a flip book because so many times it's Robin in the corner, Robin in the corner, Robin. In the corner. <laughs> right? They're really funny. The Robin profile. Mm-hmm. Yes, although the best Batman comic ever from the from the fifties is uh, the one with Batman Jones on the cover. Who's that? Oh, you have to look for it. I can't remember exactly what issue it is, but it's basically an inner inner city black kid. Dresses Batman riding a bicycle to fight crime. In the fifties, like late fifties, yeah. Wow. I mean, and, and when I say black kid, it's like he basically has pink skin. You know, they didn't really make him like dark or anything. But I mean, it, they call him Batman Jones, and he's <laughs> you know in in like the inner city. You have to look for it. It's fantastic. Wow. But today we're here to talk about first. Defenders 36, which uh, has a June cover date, and it went on sale March 16th, 1976. And the cover is by Gil Kane and Mike Esposito. And boy, it's a weird thing. And we're going to have to talk about this a little more later, but we've gone from Nebulon, the Headmen, and the Ludbardites. And the Headmen in particular, to me, posed not just a physical threat, but like a really sort of an existential threat in a weird way. Right. Because they were messing with identities and things. And now it's Plant Man. <laughs> it's like, really? Plant Man? Anyway, Plant Man is on this cover. There's a big vine. It looks like the Bougainvillea in my backyard. And it's wrapping around the Hulk and Doctor Strange. Hulk's in sort of in the foreground fighting, you know, like trying to smash the vine. And it's like a tree trunk fat kind of vine, you know. And Doctor Strange is being choked by it. And in the sort of in the background, but still pretty prominent, the new Red Guardian, Tanya Balinski, is swinging in from who knows where and kicking Plant Man in the chest. And it says, it has captions that say, Plant Man strikes. And then another one with a big arrow says, featuring the new Red Guardian. 
And then another one at the bottom that says Garden of Evil. And that is almost the title, but not quite. The title of this story is called A Garden of Earthly Demise. Garden of Earthly Demise, which is a takeoff on the... Um... It was an ad. Was it Herbal Essence Shampoo or something in the seventies? Oh, Come into yeah. the garden, the garden of earthly delights. Yeah, I kind of remember that. I can't sing. Um, well, that's... so that that keeps you know Apple from making us pay royalties for the music. <laughs> yes. But in terms of the cover, I mean, the interesting thing is this is a new Red Guardian based off a character who appeared once ten years ago. I th- right. maybe there was another Red Guardian appearance between. Then I don't know. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so either. So it's a new Red Guardian. I mean, maybe again, you know, Russia. Russia's in the news at this time, right? I mean, the whole. Sure, you know, this is the era of. Was it was it detente? Um, yeah, it was post. Well, I mean, Nixon's gone by now, but we're getting into. But we're in Ford going in. If this is seventy six, so yeah. we're about to go into a presidential election. But certainly, the prior years. You know, yeah, we, we, I don't think we feel that doomsday thing anymore with the you know bombs dropping. Not, not in this era. It comes back in the eighties. And you know, not to say, you know, we all know the story that right, Wolverine and the X Men were part of a an attempt by Marvel to reach out internationally. Who's to say that someone didn't say, can we do a new Red Guardian or can we do a new Russian character or Steve uh-huh. Gerber? Saw the writing on the wall and said, "Hey, I'll I, I'd like to do something like that. That would be fun." Interesting, yeah. But I mean, certainly, it didn't mean anything to me when I was fourteen. Going a new Red Guardian, awesome. No, it sure I mean, did. She's a very nice looking character. I mean, she's she's a great character. I I, I immediately yeah. you know liked her. Yes, and she's fun in here because she's got that. It's like somebody finally has shown up in the Defenders who's new and has a lot of questions to ask. So Dr. Strange or whoever gets to say, well, you see, this is what we do and why we do it. Yes. So that's kind of a fun point of view character. And this is how we deal with, and we need someone to help us with all the brains that have been moved around. Yeah. Well, that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but by this time, like Jack Norris is not surprised by things anymore. So no, uh, we, we've got this new person to be surprised. So the issue is written by Steve Gerber, but with an assist from his friend Mary Screenus, who also was his co-writer on Omega the Unknown. And she wrote a bunch of other stuff here and there. She wrote for DC under the name Virgil North on the mystery books. Oh. Yeah. Not a ton, but some. No, I remember that byline, but I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And... The art is by Salvi Sam and Klaus Janssen, and very cool. Klaus Janssen colored this issue, and it is definitely better than your average coloring job. Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. We start off with a symbolic splash page where Kyle Richmond, in his Nighthawk costume, is standing atop a big brain and sort of screaming, he looks like. And in the background are sort of distorted ghostly figures of Doctor Strange, Valkyrie, and Hulk all watching in horror, I guess you could say, although Doctor Strange mostly looks like, I don't like this. Valkyrie looks horrified. Hulk looks confused. <laughs> but they, they, none of them like it. I have a question about when there is this like kind of distortion. I mean, because I see 
This and plus Jansen's work. There was another scene, I think, maybe when Nighthawk is waking up from the, the surgery or uh, whatever. But sure. You see this distortion effect, and I wonder, is it – I mean, we may not know, but I don't know if something like this is in the original pencils, if it's – Oh, yeah. Something no, – I'm sure of it. So you Okay. I always wonder if, if – if, or if there was a way where, like, photographically, did they – did someone, like – draw it normally and then distort it. But I guess you're just no. saying, why wouldn't the artist just distort it from the beginning? Well, they, they did. I mean, yeah. these days you can do stuff like that with Photoshop. But, I guess that's um, what I'm thinking. I feel like I see a lot of that more in modern comics where you, you see, you can tell it's the same piece of art, but this, but they've just kind of, you know, stretched it out or compressed it or done something to it. Right. Yes. And there's all sorts of crazy filters. In fact, just today I was flipping through Twitter, scrolling through Twitter, I should say, and somebody had posted a picture of the thing that he drew and then ran through what he called the spaghetti filter on Photoshop. So instead of looking like he was made of rocks, he looked like he was made of spaghetti. It was the funniest damn thing. Well, that's useful. That's so useful. I know. I loved it. I, I, finally, a thing I could, you know, sit down and eat. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, he's delicious with, meat, with meatballs. Anyway. Maybe not. It's garlic time. I don't know. I'm trying to <laughs> Right. So we move on to yet another flashback where... I was going to say, hey, isn't it time uh, for another life story of Kyle Richman? <laughs> yes, it is. It's funny. You know, I feel like Steve Gerber has made so many uh, steps forward with Kyle Richmond in terms of developing his character, but now he's just sort of repeating himself. And that's sort of part of the point of the story, but you know, you might've been able to do this, that make that point without repeating literally, because it's a two pages of nine panel grids that reiterate. Basically I got captured by the headman and they took my brain out. And then I was deprived of all my senses. So I was reliving my childhood. My mom died. I got bullied. I hit the principal. I killed my girlfriend in a car accident in college. I got kicked out of college. I was 4F and I couldn't be drafted. My dad died. I turned over all the business to Penny's Worth. I decided to become a superhero to take care of my heart murmur with help from the Grandmaster. And I became a supervillain with the Squadron Sinister. Then I became a good guy and joined the Defenders. Then I got in a car with Trish Starr, but the car blew up. Then Trish Starr had no arm. Then I found out that Pennysworth was funding a bunch of racists. Then I fought alongside the Guardians of the Galaxy. Then I saw Dr. Nagin again, and then I woke up. That's like two pages of stuff we've seen several times before. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it did make me feel, especially with the, 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 the co-writing credit, the... Uh -huh. References later to the crossover with uh, the Hulk crossing into Omega. I, I did feel a little bit, and especially when you talk about, wow, what a standard superhero cover, it did feel like maybe, I mean, it's obviously by the regular team, but maybe it was like a, you know, is there kind of a fill-in or like I'm, I'm doing a little bit of dog paddling, I'm doing a little bit of a soft shoe dance. Yep until I can really get back to the main story. It's like, oh, and hey, recapping recapping everything about Kyle Richmond is a good way to, to spend two pages. But, you know, I kind of, at the time, and even now, I mean, I remember liking it because I really do, A, I, it reminds me I really like the character. And remember, the character's a, 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 a brain in a bowl at this point. Uh -huh. So we, we don't want to lose sight, you know, of the character. And we also, you know, I think 
there's that great feeling, and again, I think we've said this already about, you know, because th these aren't being written for six-issue trade paperback collections. There really is the idea of if you just walked in, you're getting an introduction. Um, sure, yeah. And sometimes, it, you know, and sometimes, you know, there is the, hey, I just walked in and I don't know what's going on. But I do right. like that he's trying to keep – there's a lot of complicated stuff going on, and I think he – he is really I think he's a little afraid of losing the audience because they're gonna forget how important this, you know, brainless body with the brain in the bowl really is to everything. That is true. And look, I think he's aware of it because this is very compressed. Yeah. Like he's trying to get past it as quickly as possible. That's why I was being silly about it. But like I said, but it's I'm always willing to I'll listen to Kyle Richmond talk about his past all day long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. I want to hear about the good times, Kyle. Come on. <laughs> the time Pennysworth took you to the circus. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, people remember the bad stuff much more than they remember the good stuff. Remember all the times, all the times you went on a date and your your date didn't die or lose an arm. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be a few. There's got to be a few in there. Well, it is funny because he does say, like, as a diversion, I live. I had my rich brat image to live up to, painting the town with a new face every week like clockwork. Only Trish Starr of all those starlets and models ever got to me. Right. And I thought, we never saw one of those other people, <laughs> starlets and models. I mean, I guess we didn't have to because, like, there's nothing dramatic about him having a boring date with somebody who's, who he doesn't care about. But it's just funny, you know. Okay. So anyway, at the end of the third page, the second page of really of the um, – flashback the second last panel he's seeing the face of nagan with his gorilla hand and a scalpel in it and he looks all sinister and mean and then the last panel on that page is tanya Belinsky saying can you speak mr richmond can you hear me and kyle, you can see kyle's hand he's like reaching up toward her to he's just sort of coming out of unconsciousness after having been you know gotten his brain back in his head and he, you know, we go into the next page where he's sort of looking at himself like, I can't believe I can feel my hands and move and things. And Tanya Belinsky is saying how, you know, you're coming out of anesthesia. Don't worry about it. It'll, you'll feel better soon. Do you want me to tell you what's been going on the last few days? Because probably you don't know. And then this is so weird. The next panel, three guys in domino masks and one of them's got a gun bust into the hospital room where Kyle's recuperating and says that they're going to take pretty boy here. And, <laughs> you know, they don't really, all, all they say is we're taking you out of here. So it's a little unclear what they're planning to do because in the last panel on the page, it's a big panel where Tanya basically beats the heck out of these three hoods. And they are, once again, they're wearing, you know, suits although they don't have ties on at least suits and like i said domino masks one of them has a fedora on but it's a cool image nonetheless because savvy sama drew a bunch of different images of her she's like moving through these three guys and hitting them and kicking them and things like she's the flash you know in multiple images so it's it's really fun it is and i again he's you know i've been surprised at i never thought of him as an action artist 
but he really he really is. And I guess in the Hulk, I mean, there was always a lot of fighting. But for right. some reason, I remember the the faces so much more. But this is like, oh, he really did. He's a, so dynamic, so dynamic. Yeah, it's terrific. And the captions are sort of capturing, you know, Kyle's just lying there in bed going like, is this for real? What am I seeing here? Because, of course, she just introduced herself to him as her his doctor. So, you know, you don't really expect your doctor to start beating the heck out of people. And then uh, on the next page, we cut to Dr. Strange, who is in the midst of sort of mesmerizing the Soviet State Department and U.S. State Department people into saying, yes, Dr. Belinsky should remain in the United States for a time. <laughs> so... He's worked his magic on them. Meanwhile, somebody runs up to Dr. Strange and says, there's some kind of ruckus going on in Mr. Richmond's room. Someone ta- attacked him. He rushes off to see what's going on there, and there's a cop coming out of the room, and they're dragging out the unconscious bodies of the guys who had just busted in there. And one of the cops says, that, ro- that little Russian gal took all three of them by their- her lonesome. And Dr. Strange is intrigued. He looks in the room and he's sort of going like, wow, I never would have expected. And then we cut back to the police station where Valkyrie is being booked because, as you recall, she was arrested at the end of the last issue. She was arrested. Yes, after beating up and almost killing Chandu in that really horrible form he was in. And we don't see what happened to him, but we do see what happens to her because the, I guess the desk sergeant is asking her questions like, what's your name, Valkyrie? Valkyrie what? And she's like, I don't have another name. And you don't have any record of your employment. You don't have an address. You don't have any identification, like a driver's license or nothing. Fine. Throw her in the cell. They turn her over to jail matron, I guess she is, who makes some you know remarks about how she's half naked in that costume and the cops who brought her in are starting to look at her going like, this is weird. What is the, her deal? And But they don't really get very far because the sergeant says, quit mooning over that broad. That's the line. And I, got another, <laughs> I got another one for you. Some crazy person, a landlord, says there's a flying horse on his roof and he wants it off. Right. And then we cut to Jack Norris and Aragorn are on a rooftop. This is where... Remember, Chandu, when he attacked Valkyrie, also gouged Aragorn's side with his claws. And he, Aragorn, and Jack landed on this rooftop, and Aragorn is sort of incapacitated. And now there's a landlord threatening to shoot Aragorn because his ceiling's going to cave in under it. And I'm not sure how shooting Aragorn would help. <laughs> He'd still be there. Right. But... Jack is saying, look, you know, this is a very special animal. You can't just attack it. And he's wounded. We're going to get help. And the landlord attacks Jack when suddenly a big noise of something landing on the roof occurs. And it goes, clump. And it's the Incredible Hulk. Thank goodness he's arrived. From where? I don't know. I think it says in the next page, though, that uh, he's just come from his appearance in Omega the Unknown number two. Yeah, it shows up. Which I don't really remember what that is, but anyway. Oh, it's he's a. I mean, the Hulk. They were. I mean, it wasn't. I don't think the TV show was on yet, but they were. I mean, Hulk was one of those characters that they used to. Yeah. You know, instead of Spider, you know, they stopped using Spider Man and would be, oh, you want to have someone fight the Hulk? That always, that seems to boost sales. Yeah. Um, yeah. And here's the thing, because I'm looking at the original comic again, 
and I forgot about this because when you read them digitally, you don't get this effect. But remember continued after next page? Oh, yeah. And the strangest thing I remember now that I think of it about yep. the difference between Marvel and DC Comics is DC Comics would usually have two story pages back to back and then an yep. ad page that was back to back. And Marvel would kind of, and I guess now I, say, I think it's probably was intentional in terms of showcasing the art. But Marvel, you normally got a two-page spread of art, and then a uh -huh. two-page spread of ads, and then a two-page spread of, of 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 story pages again. Yeah, that's true. But I always wondered why Marvel felt the need to tell you at the bottom of every page, continued after next page. It's like it's not the end of the issue. What are, are people it's just like going to stop? stop turning pages? Well, I mean, right. DC did it too. So, DC used to have yeah. the. DC would put it in the art. The difference was Marvel would put it in the border outside the art. Mm -hmm. And DC would have a little box that continued after second page following. Oh, yeah, that's right. So strange. <laughs> so they really thought that people would not know to keep turning the pages. Yeah, it's kooky. Well, how do I read um, this comic? <laughs> it must stop here, I guess. I don't know. The weirdest ad placement of all was Harvey Comics. For a while in the 70s, when you opened a Harvey comic, the first page inside oh, yeah. was an ad. It's like, who wanted that? I mean, don't you think they must have, though, boosted that must have allowed them to charge a higher price for that page? Yeah, sure. But it makes their comics look lousy. I agree. I, yeah, I it's, always thought that was kind it's, of weird. It's but it didn't stop you, you from know? buying the comic. I didn't buy them, <laughs> but I was, I, I you know. My my Harvey Comics experience was uh, at a much younger age. I don't think I ever bought a Harvey comic once. I bought anyway. too many comics for way too long. Oh, I bought too many comics for way too long. I just didn't have enough. I bought tons of Archies. I just didn't happen to buy um, Harvey's ever, pretty much. Not even so, hot stuff? Not even spooky? You know, I always liked those concepts, but... Because I, I think I've told this story before, but, you know, my comics experience with kids comics like that was when I was young and I was going to the allergy doctor every six weeks and he always had a big stack of Archie's and Harvey's there. So I'd read them there, but I did not feel the need to own them. <laughs> this is really way off topic people, but when we're only doing two issues, we're going to have more. Of these. <laughs> but, no, I was starting to think about like, I always like mashups, right? And there was the big one from however many years ago, but it shows up every few years. The one that's like the peanuts as Watchmen characters. Yep, sure. You know, and I'm thinking Harvey characters as the defenders. And so I'm like, okay, where do we go oh, with nice. this? And it's, yeah. And so maybe it's Wendy as Dr. Strange, hot stuff as son of Satan. Yeah. Um, Richie Rich is Nighthawk color. He has the same color scheme. <laughs> yes. Perfect. And, and little Lada as I'm going to go with little Lada as Valkyrie. Oh, and Stumbo as uh, Hulk. Stumbo as Hulk. There you go. We, Fantastic! We we, we we nailed it. Mission accomplished. Okay. I'll have to I'll have to work on this. Okay, so Hulk arrives on the roof and turns to the landlord and says, "Horse is Hulk's friend." And he picks up the landlord and says, "You know, Hulk will smash." And Jack is behind them, going like, "No, no!" And Hulk goes, "Yes!" and drops the landlord off the roof. But because it's in New York City, there's another rooftop right there, so the landlord only fell like eight feet, and. He's sitting there shaking his fist at Jack Norris, and Jack's like, just shut up. You don't want him to come back, do you? I finished the job. <laughs> uh, 
Hulk picks up Aragorn like under his belly or whatever and picks up Jack by the seat of his pants and leaps away from the rooftop. So funny. And then we cut back to a hospital cafeteria where Dr. Strange and Dr. Belinsky are sitting and drinking coffee and talking about how, you know, she's going to be able to stay in the United States for a while, and she can't believe it. It's incredible. When suddenly a newsboy comes sauntering through the cafeteria selling newspapers. It's a weird. I I don't know about that. Yeah, well, also the design of it looked even more like a um... – Honestly, I thought it looked a little bit more like like a diner, but even so, walking. But I mean, it says it's a cat. No, it says it's. No, I know what it says. Cat. I'm saying, but the captions the captions are sometimes uh, in contrast with the actual art. I guess so. Um, Doctor Strange takes a newspaper and happens to open right to the bozos turning into heroes newspaper story about celestial mind control, and I'm going to give you a little secret of the colorists here. You see how on this page, Jack Norris has an orange shirt and green pants? Yeah. The class had more orange and green left and didn't want to just throw it away, so he colored the cafeteria the same colors as his clothes. What do you mean by had orange and green left? Like he had mixed the colors or whatever, so he didn't want to just... Oh, you mean in terms of like the markers or whatever he was using? Or were they using watercolors? Dr. Martin's dyes. Dr. Martin's dyes, okay. Which are little bottles of intense colors, and they're fantastic. But, yeah, that's what these guys used. And he had you get, like, a little dish, and you water, you know, you put a few drops into each little... Um, Got it. It's, it's sort of um, a tray with different indentations, and you put each color into one of those trays. Right. No, I, I, I've seen, I, yeah, I've seen, like... With okay, so, you know. know so, anyway, it. he had a little green and a little orange left, and he was like, yeah, screw it, I'll just color the cafeteria the same color. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, so they're talking about celestial mind control and the little bald man surrounded by bozos and how strange it is. And then Dr. Strange is saying how, you know, some people are are so willing to follow this kind of thing and relinquish control of their own thoughts and whatever. And Dr. Belinsky saying, oh, I'm familiar. And he's and he's thinking to himself, like, yeah, it's a lot worse than you think, lady. It's not just a fad it's you know nebulon the celestial man one of the most powerful beings in the universe who's control who's behind this bum, bum, bum. so in the next panel we are outside the celestial mind control or cmc center uh an unassuming little building and there are three guys out there talking about whether or not they want to go into the offices and get some help from them but they don't say it in those words they just say you know, one of the two of them are saying you're outvoted, and the, you know, and and the testimonials in that newspaper article that I happen to have right here were so impressive. We got to go and talk to these guys, and make it our uh, make slobs like us into more effective villains. Is almost exactly what he says. They ring the bell. Little bald man opens the door. I don't think he ever gets a name as little bald man. Oh right, he never he doesn't introduce himself to the world as I'm. I'm Mr. Mind Control or anything. Mr. Like Neb dot Neb Yulon, right? <laughs> Ned. Ned Yulon. <laughs> Ned Yulon. Yeah, there you go. Call you me know, Ned. U, U is like his, you know, middle initial. Anyway, no, they, he never does that. He opens the door and says, Welcome, we've been expecting you. And the bozo cheerleaders are behind him jumping up and down and saying, Welcome, welcome. And 
they go inside and introduce themselves. And Bald Man s- stops them and says, nope, you're, that, those aren't your names. Tell them their names. And the cheerleaders are going, you're bozos, bozos, bozos. They're very excited about this whole bozo thing. And the guy who was objecting says, forget this, I'm out of here. And he leaves. And the bald man, who's in the process of handing bozo masks to the other two, the bald guy says, he'll be back. They all come back. And outside, the guy who refused to be a part of this degrading scenario says, why did I figure a a stretch in prison would wise these guys up? They'll fall for anyone with a smooth line. And he's saying, like, you know, who needs them? We'll show the world, won't we? And he pulls a leaf off a tree and says, won't we show them, pal, to the leaf? So now, he, talk, he talks to the trees. He talks to the trees. And he, is he, does he speak for the trees? Is it the Lorax? <laughs> I was thinking of something even more ridiculously obscure. Uh, there's a, <laughs> a line from a goon show where uh, one of the characters sings, I talk to the trees. Maybe this is a real song. That's why they put me away. I don't know if that's a real song or not. That sounds like a, a goon song. But the yeah. um, but I, do you? I always like this bit. You know, um, I mean, Alan Moore did it later. Sometimes the people do it with names you don't know. But when these guys just introduce themselves as Alex Gentry, oh, Sam yeah. Smithers, and Leopold Strike, and the one that leaves, I believe, is Smithers. If I have my secret identities correct, yeah, remembered properly. But it, it it's always interesting because you you do wonder like at this time how many how many readers are there going I know who they are. Well, <laughs> there is a big clue on the cover. Well, that's one of them, but I mean it doesn't tell you but, who yeah. the other two are. No, it doesn't, and I sure didn't remember any of these names. But well, yeah, we'll we'll talk more in depth when we when we find out who they are. But but I like that. I like that it's kind of there. That it's like if you mm-hmm. if you are super deep. I mean, there was no way you know nowadays. Every t- you know nowadays when we watch like you know if you're watching Shield or something and somebody right. goes well has anybody seen any sign of 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 Hans you know you'd go Marvel Universe Hans you know just to find out who's named Hans that they're referring to you know right. and you'd yeah. get you know and you'd get the Marvel Wiki and you'd get the Earth six sixteen database and you'd get all those things it's like right here all you do is have your memory or your friend going do you know do you remember are these do these names mean anything to you. Yeah, but but yeah, the Marvel, you know, it's not like well, even I don't even know if um, I mean, I think I feel like Oswald Cobblepot wasn't even probably really known as the Penguin in DC, you know, like a lot of them. I don't know that, you know, uh, in Flash, you kind of because there's something fun about the Flash rogues. So you knew their names. You knew Digger Harkness was Boomerang and Matt. I mean, some some car, some characters, they put more emphasis on those secret identity names than others. Uh-huh. But these guys are pretty obscure. So we'll find out in a, in, a, in a bit. Yeah, we will. So we cut back to jail where Valkyrie is being put in a, a jail cell with several other women. And she looks wiped out. Her eyes are half closed. She's like got her head half down. And there's a woman in there. They're all in sort of pale green, like shapeless dresses. So, you know, they're in jail together. And there's a big kind of tough looking woman in the in the cell who's you know like giving her a hard time valkyrie goes to lie down and large woman stomps her foot on the cot right next to valkyrie and says get out of there that's the kid's bunk 
and the the little sort of strung out waifish looking young woman says it's okay she can stay and you know the big mean looking woman says yeah i didn't nobody asked you you don't know what's best for you i'll handle it and valkyrie says okay which beds are not taken and big tough woman says why are you asking me do i look like an information booth you know so she's just giving her a lot of crap and then she asks her what's your name what are you in for and valkyrie doesn't want to discuss it and the little waif girl says can't you just leave her alone she's can't you see she's exhausted and big mean woman hauls off and smacks her real hard backhands her knocks her over grabs valkyrie by the hair and starts yanking like she's gonna start a fight and valkyrie of course is very strong um picks her you know with one hand picks her up by her neck and starts squeezing and says if you don't back off i'm gonna fight you you know i'm gonna really give you what for valkyrie drops her and the woman saying you'll be sorry but meanwhile valkyrie's half doubled over with you know intense nausea from having um attacked a woman is this the first um i was just wondering is this the first like kind of um hero in prison i mean sort of the one i mean there might have been like a batman story or something where he went to prison i didn't mean to mention that you're right I don't know if it's the first one. I feel like there have been times where various characters have been in prison, but it's never been for an extended sort of subplot where it had any significant meaning or this goes on for a little while. This is not a a quick little sort of storyline where, you know, Batman has to be get in prison to find uh Right. The, the guy who killed somebody or whatever. No, this is like, she's just arrested and nobody knows she's there. Yeah. And I mean, and what happens if someone has no identification? I mean, obviously, you know, she's, I mean, ha, you know, she's probably booked as some sort of Jane Doe or something, but it is kind of like, I mean, to, again, it's a great plot point because yeah. A, she doesn't have any understanding of the system necessarily, the modern right. penal system. So she doesn't really know what she's in for. I mean, it's not kryptonite, but I mean, she has her weakness because she can't, she's not at her full strength because she can't fight against the people she's surrounded by. Yeah, exactly. This is a bad place for her to be. I feel like also, wasn't this a time period in which there were like women's prison movies or was that early? Bingo. That's a good point. Yeah. Women in chains. Yeah, right. Uh, There were definitely occasional women in prison movies and it was mostly an excuse for a little bit of nudity and a lot of women fighting and, you know, the audience of men would hope that somebody would get naked by, you know, by being in a fight. And it didn't usually happen, I, I, I would guess. But anyway, that so that was just like, uh, you know, a, a thing that he's sort of playing on here, except it's never sexy in any way. It's just kind of grim. It is grim. Anyway, yeah, it is, but in a good way. I mean, this really tests Valkyrie, you know? Yes. So then we cut back to Dr. Strange's place where he and Dr. Belinsky are arriving and Dr. Strange, Dr. Strange introduces her to Wong and she's surprised that there's all sorts of mystical stuff around and not something a little, you know, I don't know, whatever she's expecting. She says something more austere. The phone rings and he is surprised to hear what do you mean vanished what did what happened who what and he says i have to get go take care of this right away uh wong will take care of you see you later 
<laughs> she runs outside just in time to see him flying away in his Doctor Strange costume. So she has discovered his secret relatively easily. And Doctor Strange is trying to summon the Defenders for help. Look up in the what, what do you say when you look up in the sky and see Doctor Strange? <laughs> it's look the Eye of Agnato. It's the Cloak of Levitation. It's the Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah, really. It's all those things and more. <laughs> right. He's not a bird or a plane. Just little old me, Doctor Strange. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Doctor Strange tries to contact the other defenders, but Valkyrie is out like a light and cannot be awoken by his astral projection. And the Hulk is so upset about Aragorn that he's clasping his hands over his ears and going, get out, to Doctor Strange's intrusion in his brain. <laughs> well, it's becoming all too regular occurrence, right? You know, He's sick of it, and he says so in oh, a minute. Oh, I yeah. need you. And then we pull back to see that they're in front of the ASPCA, and there's a, a veterinarian who's taking a look at Aragorn but he's getting a little distracted by the fact that Hulk is, you know, yelling, get out at nothing and holding his own head. And the vet is going, you know, you're, he's not going to go berserk, is he? And Jack Norris is like, dude, I don't know. Just fix the horse and we'll get out of here. <laughs> Dr. Strange approaches the, the hospital where the trouble seems to be without, you know, without any help from anybody else. And he sees a big vine leading up to Kyle Richmond's window. And he's wondering, what is that all about? And the vine reaches out and grabs him. Um, yes. Wraps around him several times. This leads me to a question, not the vine, but just what's happening here. Those three guys who we discussed a few minutes ago who went to the CMC Center. Yes. Were they the same people who tried to kidnap Kyle at the beginning of this issue? It didn't seem like it. No, no. They were part of I do not think I mean that that's a good I'm flipping I mean those that. guys should have been arrested and they were being arrested, so I don't think it could be. Yeah, no, those guys were sort of with the Well then the other thing is it were one of them the shadowy figure who we saw watching. Well they were actually they weren't coming for Kyle, they were coming for her. They were because she wants to defect. Oh they were Russian thought they were Russians. Because okay. remember, and then okay. then Doctor Strange kind of hypnotizes them to you know sort of forget all. This no, 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 no. <laughs> you're you're conflating things because those guys oh. were thugs with domino masks and a gun. The people that he was mesmerizing or whatever, hypnotizing, were uh, uh, State Department officials from Russia. They were on the up and up. They weren't trying to do anything. Oh, okay. They were you know the people who accompanied. Belinsky into the United States. But it is happening at the same, but it's happening parallel. It's happening, but the the guys are, while while Dr. Strange is talking to the officials, these are Russian thugs because quiet lady, we're taking you out of here. Tell pretty boy to stay in bed. Yeah, It's so weird. I agree with you, but I don't know why they're taking him there. They don't seem Russian. Or yeah, who are they? Were just hired, whatever, but you're right. It would, it would make more, it would almost make more sense if they were the, the, the other bad guys and because they got they screwed up that's why they went to celestial mind control right and there may have been a version but, but one looks like a chauffeur or something i mean one's you yeah know, they it, don't it, look like the same guys yeah they're not yeah they're not drawn to be the same guys no so and, I, I think they're they're not they're not there for kyle they're there for they're there to um they're there to kidnap her and maybe you know yeah, I guess so. But also, there was, remember, when she was entering the United States in the last issue, there was a shadowy figure watching them, watching her. Sure. 
and it's like, are they, is he one of these three guys? You know, it's very confusing. I, I think it is confusing. I think, I think your instinct maybe you're, cause I always look at these comics and because of the plot art script kind of thing, I'm, I, I'm, I always think sometimes these things happen where something gets laid out one way. And yeah. then when somebody else sees it, they think it doesn't make sense. Maybe the editor, the editor doesn't think it makes, you know, she'll fight. Cause, cause if she fights to protect herself, if she's fighting to protect, Kyle, it would immediately lead to bigger plot complications as opposed to I just fought off the guys coming for me. So, but you, but your your instinct kind of makes more plot sense that this is all connected somehow. But it, it's it's well, it's, it feels it's like it ought cool. to, but I don't think it is. <laughs> no, no, but but I'm saying like sometimes I think you know, and again, and I know I've talked to some of the the various writers who've who've said that especially in this format oh yeah no i threw something out there and then when i was scripting it it's just like oh i had to make it make sense yeah because you know, right. the art really didn't match or or suddenly it didn't feel right so i just made it into something else yeah all right so we'll continue but I, we still got to come back to this again in a few yeah. minutes divine carries dr strange and deposits him in front of the plant man in an alleyway i guess and plant man has a big gun and the the Caption explains that this is Sam Smithers. Bum bum bum. Yeah. When and he starts talking about like who is this guy? Well, he looks important. I guess I'll, you know, hold him for ransom too. When suddenly, Red Guardian comes swinging up from behind him and smashes him in the back and makes him drop his gun. And she says, "Aha! You're weaponless. I'm gonna." And he says, "You think I'm weaponless?" And starts shooting thorns at her and hitting her because he doesn't have any compunctions about beating up on a woman. And she loses, I guess, loses consciousness because the next page starts with Dr. Strange, Red Guardian, and Kyle, who's still in his hospital gown <laughs> and and, and uh, bandages on his head. Head bandage. Some, yeah, right. In a big sort of room or, or something made up of like tendrils and vines of a plant. So if I have this correct, there were two different crimes committed in the same room, in the same hospital, on the same day, on two different people. And both were kidnapping attempts. Interesting. You know what I mean? This is like, I know there's a lot of coincidences in the Marvel Universe, but geesh. Yeah, that's why I'm saying that's why I sort of feel like it, it's a, you know, something that was right. plotted one way and then got stretched <laughs> out or had to come up with. It just has that it has that feeling because it does yep. feel like you've gone to this well twice. Yeah. Okay. So our superheroes, at least costume superheroes, are sort of coming out of their unconsciousness, and Doctor Strange is now realizing, like, oh wait, so the brain surgeon I brought in from Russia is also a superhero. She is known also in Mother Russia as the Red Guardian, darling. She I see. Him. I see. Very good. She doesn't call him darling, but perhaps she should. <laughs> she, prefer, she prefers her men a little shorter, but she likes the mustache. <laughs> Dr. Shane says, we got to compare notes later, but right now let's get out of here. And he blasts at Wall of Plant Life with some kind of mystic blast and it doesn't seem to have any effect. And he's saying, I don't understand it. And so she grabs a belt buckle off of her pants or of her belt, which is a blade and starts 
trying to cut it, uh, the vine, and the vine sort of lashes out and hits her and knocks her down. So that didn't work. And they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. And then this is the final page of the issue where there's a giant panel of plant man sort of blocking traffic in the middle of New York City with this vine that's coming up out of the ground with a pod in the, at the top with three heroes in it. And Dr. Sh- uh, Dr. Red Guardian, rather, saying, where are we anyway from the pod? Because they're like eight stories high and the um, plant is so thick at the base that it's busted up the pavement. They can't tell Dr. where they are. And they can't tell where they are. And Plant Man is explaining how I want $50 million from Richmond Enterprises or the guy who just had his brain transplanted gets it. And that's the end of the issue, except next, the eel, the porcupine, and Power Man? Yep. Which is, and again, a bit of a, you know, bit of a spoiler. Thank you, Marvel, for, you know, <laughs> telling us who those other guys are. Sure, why not? Are you welcome? Yeah, You're exactly. welcome. Face front, <laughs> true believer. Yeah, uh, anything else to say before we go on? No, this is, again, it's it's a fun issue. I mean, it is more sort of, you know, superhero action you know yes more standard but there's still all this other stuff you know going on and we still are dealing with i guess kyle's brain is back in his body but he's thank still god. he's thank god oh no um, we put it in backwards oh no we put, and he's walking backwards um, <laughs> and it's building the defenders mythology hey every time you think oh it's just gonna be nighthawk dr strange valkyrie and hulk hey here's a red guardian yeah I love that. I do wonder, I, I kind of wonder if somebody like his editor said to Steve Gerber, you know, can we get some regular superhero stuff in the stories and a little less of this crazy focaccia, you know, brains and minds all flipping back and forth between different people? Well, that, that's sort of what, yeah, well, that, that's what I'm sort of saying. I feel like this, yeah. I mean, this is epic when, you know, when you kind of break it down and we get to the, we're still issues away from, and an annual away from this ending, is yeah. it does feel... I'm trying to think there's other stories that are like this. I mean, there's a lot of the Korvac saga was like this, where it sort of feels like somewhere in the, the beginning of the second half, there's kind of these more interludes or stretched out, decompressed uh-huh. things because it's kind of like, well, we really got to make sure we get the ending right. But if we, yeah. and if we keep doing what we're doing, there's too much headmen. There's too much headmen and Nebulon, and we've been going sure. on that for like five issues now. So I do, uh-huh. I, I kind of do feel, and maybe it was new, recently appointed editor-in-chief, Marv Wolfman, who said, you know, let's keep this on schedule, bring in another writer, have Sal just do some supervillain stuff, and we'll get back right. to your, and then we'll get back to your uh, craziness. Yeah. I guess we could ask Marv. If I ever see Marv, I will have to ask him, and he'll say, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you think I can remember that? I can't. I think I did ask a bunch of these fellows these questions, and that's often was the answer. Nothing. It was like there was a lot going on. We were just guys doing yeah, our course. job. I was I was editor of twenty or thirty Marvel comics a month. Right. You think I remember what happened? You know, it's like it's 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 like Captain Kirk safe on a Saturday Night Live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get a life, and I never it's... wanted to. I never wanted a comic book creator that I had the good fortune of dining with say get a life to me. So. So here we are, Defenders 37, cover date in July, with a big burst on the cover. Still only 25 cents, so you know what's coming soon, people. 30, 30 cents. 30 cents comics. 
Yeah, 30 Cent Comics, right. This one went on sale April 20th, 1976, only months away from the bicentennial now. And um, the cover is by Gil Kane and Mike Esposito again. Another Plant Man-y cover. This time Plant Man's way in the background. He's up on top of that same sort of vine from the last issue, shooting, raining down thorns on the Defenders. And Doctor Strange and the Red Guardian are the Defenders in, in question here. They're sort of reeling back, trying not to get hit by the thorns. But our special guest Defender, Power Man, Luke Cage, is tromping his way up the vine and saying, you know, maybe your murderous thorns can stop the other Defenders, Plant Man, but there's no way they're going to stop Power Man because, of course, they're just bouncing off him. They're ripping his shirt up, but they're basically bouncing off his steel-like skin. Yes. And there's a big round caption that says, Evil in Bloom, which is the name of the story. Which is kind of a takeoff, I guess, on, on Love in Bloom. I was just going to say that. Yes, that's exactly what I thought, too. I wouldn't have thought it at the time, but now I do. Hey, I didn't even realize this. What's that? 36 and 37 are the first issues to have barcodes on them. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I guess I knew it was sometime in the 70s, but I didn't know when. Yeah, I don't re- didn't remember them that early. Right? Yeah. I, I don't think most comic shops were making much use of them to much, much later. Oh, no, no, but I, no, it was more for the newsstands and stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And I don't know if they were, and I don't think they were doing the different editions yet. But they, were, they did reach that point where they they had to yeah they because because they wanted to keep the newsstands from selling from from give, putting in affidavit returns and then selling the extras to to comment you know to right. comic shops and dealers yes and I remember there was a while where I think DC did this but maybe Marvel too where the direct editions had different stuff in the UPC box but not a UPC code right well you know we're pricing out at the store some early Frank Miller Daredevils and the, mm-hmm. and it goes from being the barcode with the line through it, uh-huh. which was the first way to, that it showed the direct market that, that it, so that it was the same plate, but just with like a diagonal line through the box. And then after a few months of that, it becomes, you know, the Spider-Man head or, you know, and right, DC yeah. would do like, you know, DC comics is on the move. And stuff yep. like that. <laughs> Down the street. Down the street, yeah. We're We're moving again. (laughs) So this issue, this story, Evil in Bloom, written by Steve Gerber with no help from anybody, (laughs) and written and art by Sappy Sam and Klaus Jansen. Well, you know, now here's a story I looked up because I was curious about, I've always been curious about Mary Screenus, mostly because Omega was uh, one of my favorite series. And... You know, and a couple things come up. One is she's incredibly, she was always incredibly private. So, uh-huh. it, it, you know, so even though if you say that, it may not be true. Apparently, she co-created and co-wrote Hard Time. Yes, at, great at, series. When it, uh, at, at, yeah, great series at DC in the early 2000s or mid-2000s. Yeah. And while she's credited on the second series as co-writer, she wasn't for the first one, even though... Gerber acknowledged that she was, you know, was always a part of it. So I, so, so who knows if, if she participated a lot, but didn't necessarily want the credit. And and Gerber had a quote about her, which is um, the only thing I can say about Mary is she's, she's incredibly, she really is an incredibly private person. And she Hmm. will probably be mad at me for saying in public that she's incredibly private. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. And it's interesting that like somebody who's that private, 
wants to get into a field where people are going to see her name and, you know, want to know what her deal is. She also wrote for animation and stuff. I mean, I think sure. some people just want to write. I don't think some people see it as, you know, don't yeah. necessarily see you have to be famous. Even though writers get credited, I don't think everybody who wants to write sees it as, oh, it's going to be my name on the screen. You know, sometimes it's just, you know, I'd like to write stories and if people enjoy them, great, but I don't necessarily want. No, you're right. You know, I don't want to be a public person. You're absolutely right. And the fact is that here we are in the mid 1970s. Nobody thought writing comics was going to make them famous or make anyone want to do an interview or whatever. Just was barely such a thing. Even if you were like the most famous person in the field, you know, you'd have to be like Gil Kane or Stan or uh, Jack Kirby or Stan right. Lee to get an interview in the Comics Journal, let's say. And teams yeah. are always, you know, a tricky thing. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I saw it a lot in in uh, screenwriting, but you know, you have you know, where screenwriting teams are so common. You know, Gans and Mandel and and that sure. sort of thing. And and it's always like, but it's almost like separate them, and neither of them has any talent. Together, they're this magical writing machine <laughs> but it's very hard for them to get work solo so it's also you know wow. again possible i mean and i know you know marvin len wrote some stories together there are there are other examples in comics michigan and does, cohen but often it seems if there's a name writer and another writer i know nowadays sometimes we go oh are they really writing it or are they just sort of are they just are they just putting their buddy up for a job you know and we you know i've heard uh -huh. people say that about certain things so it's also if you're if you know if you're paying for steve gerber who is building up a name you know does that writing with someone else does it kind of you know i mean I, when i read omega i never thought of, i mean again it made me curious about her but it never made me feel like oh it's not really steve gerber i mean it was right it felt like steve gerber yeah for sure well you know it's possible that she like helped him with the plotting or whatever but you're absolutely right it, nothing in that felt like Oh, this is an element from a different point of view completely. It's funny thinking about, I wonder if she went to prison because because <laughs> she has credit on that and credit on, on the, on hard time, which was a prison story. Oh yeah. And even I think I'm pretty sure Omega goes to prison at some point. Uh, yeah, he's remember. in hell's kitchen and I think he gets arrested, but you never know. So, so that's why she wanted to stay private because she was a fugitive from the law. <laughs> that's possible. Okay. So here we go. Splash page. Uh, a bunch of guys are wrestling Aragorn, still wounded Aragorn, <laughs> into a building because they decided they can't. Oh, into the ASPCA because they decided they can't operate on a horse in the street. Fair enough. And in the very foreground, Hulk is flipping out and saying, why are these men taking Aragorn away? He's dying. A horse is my friend. You guys are trying to fool me. He's just having a meltdown. And Jack Norris is in the middle saying, they've got to get him inside so they can take care of that big gash in his side. They need sterile, in a sterile environment. And the minute, Hulk, uh, the minute the horse gets indoors on page two, a whole bunch of cops move into action. They're shooting in the air to like warn the Hulk that they're coming, I guess. And this is right after that Omega the Unknown number two appearance where apparently... Right caused a lot of trouble in New York City and the cops are not going to be patient. The Hulk turns around, smashes his fist into the ground, knocks all the cops over and Hulk jumps away. I love this. Launch skyward on the world's most powerful pair of gamma ray fortified gams. 
Thank you, Steve. I love stuff like that. Oh, it's so great. And he used the classic, you know, hit the ground, create the shockwave, knock everybody yes. to their feet. That's so funny. The Hulk reaches, you know, pretty high in his trajectory, but then there's police helicopters shooting at him. And the Hulk manages to grab onto the helicopter, wreck it up real, real good. The cops inside are going to jump out, I guess, with parachutes or something. They seem to be actually, like, just doing that thing that doesn't make any sense, like in a cartoon where, some, you know, if you're in a an elevator and it's falling and you just step out as it reaches the bottom, you're fine. <laughs> that seems to be pretty much what they're doing. Right. The cops are still shooting at the Hulk, and he's like, screw this, I'm out of here. I'm tired of you puny humans even i'm tired of my friends they're all terrible i hate them <laughs> they boss me around and in a classic hulk nickname he calls them blue hats oh yeah like it jack is sort of to the side listening to the cops on their big old walkie talkies and says all oh, you know something's going on but all i could hear was the words richmond enterprises and i he gets the connection and says i've got to head to the hospital well, if you only hear two words those are the words to hear yeah Good selective hearing. And he takes off. He says, I've got to get to the hospital, basically, and see what's going on. Maybe I can't make sense out of this, but maybe Doc Strange can. And then we cut to Doc Strange and Red Guardian and Nighthawk, who's not in great shape. I mean, Kyle, not in great shape because he just had brain surgery like yesterday. Still in that big pot on top of the vine. Doctor Strange is concentrating hard and casts a spell and nothing happens. It doesn't really do anything. Now, you were going to say something before. Me? I'm wondering if... Yeah, about... Oh, well, I, this, is, I, this, I think, is part of that, yes. Well, it's interesting. Maybe you're right, because about... Well, you better say it out, because, I mean, I'm reading your mind, I think. You know, it's it shows up in a in a later letter column. So I didn't want to get... I really didn't want to jump ahead, because, I, like I said, I just bought, oh, sorry. This, I just bought a set of issues, and, and that's what I'm saying. It's sort of someone else commenting on... On, on and con- they they were connecting the dots and and it's an interesting theory. I don't actually in terms of the comics, I don't know if it's if it. I, I don't remember that because I didn't read all the comics. But I was just flipping okay. through the letter pages and someone sort of someone so, someone commented on some of the Defender Strange behavior and commenting as its possible connection to that to that um, meddling with the heads. Right. <laughs> well, let me uh, add to that that even though the Hulk was really frustrated, that is unusually angry behavior for the Hulk as far as, you know, people who are trying to help him and magician, you know, he usually listens to magician and he did not want to listen. So, yeah, something's going on. You you may be right. Anyway, Red Guardian tells Dr. Strange, just chill out and and get some rest. You're going to exhaust yourself. And he says, no, no, I got to keep trying. Or else we'll never learn why we've been taken captive or even where we are. And, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe that thing's hard to hear through. But, you know, they <laughs> yeah. are in the middle of, like, Times Square, basically. But they're surrounded by, you know, six feet <laughs> of... Uh, oh, I you mean, think it's that thick? It could be. I think it's got to be pretty thick to support them. I mean, I mean, yeah. it's a comic book. But, you know, I mean, I, I, I kind of accept that, that they're high enough up and that they're not... I mean, maybe if anything, they're hearing muffled chaos, but they don't really know where they are. Right. So we then see a big shot of the exterior of this thing 
where you know people are pointing, cops are pointing, and there's a news reporter and plant man is standing on one of the branches of this giant vine, and there's a newsman who's in captions saying what plant man wants. $10 million from the coffers of Richmond Enterprises. So apparently he's discounted his ransom price um, since last issue when he asked for $50 million. $1 billion. $1 yeah, million. Yeah. Dollars. Right? <laughs> Jack's running along and he goes by a, a convenient store that has TVs in the window and sees this exact scene and realizes, nope, got to go there. <laughs> it's got to be Doc and Val because, oh, the, the Police reports say there's an unidentified man and woman in costumes in this thing. He yeah, boy, that was that was a discount. How, yeah, they, they so they just knocked eighty percent off of uh, the ransom. It's a big discount all of a sudden. I think he just forgot what Gerber just forgot <laughs> what he wrote last issue. <laughs> you can't trust the news. It's the news. Oh, that's right. Fake news says ten million. <laughs> Fake news says ten million. <laughs> anyway, Jack says it's got to be Doc and Val up in that thing, so he starts running back to get help because Hulk is not reliable right now. So he, the scene cuts to the office of Luke Cage, man, that is a shabby office. He's got, isn't it? The walls are cracked and the paints peeling and stuff. Isn't this the office that's above the times square movie theater? Yes, it is with the soda. I mean, machine? I mean, right. Yeah. You're right. So Cage is in the middle of fighting a bunch of, generic thugs who've been hired to to fight him or whatever and they've also been hired to kid they've also been hired to kidnap both tanya Belinsky and kyle richmond <laughs> <laughs> these guys are busy they're busy uh, man the, yeah right the phone's ringing cage is still fighting them one of them pulls a gun and shoots at him and he goes ow and the guy goes ow what's with you why don't you fall down Oh, because I got a steel tough skin and you guys are done, you know, and he knocks them out, whatever. And then the phone's still ringing and he says, thank goodness for persistent customers. He picks up the phone and it's ugh, the defenders again. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm not getting paid here, you know. And then we cut back to uh, inside the plant pod thing. And Dr. Strange has been meditating, gathering his personal strength and whatever. And he says he's feels like he's ready to try one more time. He says, my thoughts, my energies are in perfect focus. By the eternal Vishanti, by Asher, I shall be free. And you guys too. And blasts <laughs> the plant and it, you know, makes a big hole in the side of the plant. When, and then he looks out and sees we're way up in the sky. So since, the, since there's an opening in the plant and he can do things now, he zaps Kyle Richmond back to his hospital room and for safety. That's a good plan. Good plan. Yeah. Glad he did it. Kyle, not really up to fighting. And he sort of grabs uh, the red guardian and flies out of the plant thing. And she's saying, how can you possibly fly unaided? And he starts explaining. And then he says, well, well, you know, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> I mean, it's a funny moment of him starting to explain and realizing he just does not have time. And here's a question. Sure. I mean, I know we accepted now. So was it always the cloak of levitation? Was that always was that established I, in Ditko? I think so. Yeah. Okay. That he I'm that the sure. cape allows him to fly. I definitely remember there's an issue where the the ancient one gives him a new cloak 
because he had the dark blue one. And oh. I'm pretty sure he says it was, this is a cloak of levitation or something, you know. I, I think it was not just for decoration and to make his costume look a little Got it. more dynamic. But that was be, that was before he got the blue mask. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was in <laughs> Ditko times. Anyway, Plant Man looks up and goes, crap, they escaped. <laughs> and he starts shooting at them with his wrist gauntlet thingies. And he, he explains that he's shooting them with spores. If you're wondering why those spores I fired at you seem harmless, it's because they are, he says. I have a feeling they didn't know those were spores at all, but okay. Uh, then he, <laughs> he sort of follows that up with a ray blast from his gun that makes the spores become giant and have big, ugly faces. <laughs> you know? Which and you know what they look like to me? Uh, you tell me. COVID. I was going to say the same thing, but I thought okay. there's no way anyone else would think that. Yes, they look like cartoon COVID bugs. Right. Or, or mad balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mad balls for sure. Anyway, he sh- the gun is called a chloro blaster, by the way. So, instant it's his specialty, instant mutations. Yeah, that's great. These are delta variants. Yeah, right. So the spores sort of smush Doctor Strange and Red Guardian together and crush them so closely that they're they're caught and they start floating up and he said and Plant Man's explaining how you're on your way to the stars or at least the ionosphere where you'll freeze to death. And he's he's starting to say bon voyage, but then the big meaty fist of uh, Luke Cage uh, smashes him in the face, and Luke Cage is there for, uh, suddenly. And his first line is "Ah, shut up!" <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to hear this, and he's not interested in really being a part of this very long because he says Luke Cage is explaining the longer I'm involved in this, the less time I am waiting for phone calls for actual business. I'm doing right. charity work for you people. Plant Man says, Black Man, I don't know what you're yapping about, but impressed I'm not. Calls him Black Man. Huh. <laughs> doesn't seem very uh, charitable. Anyway, a vine grabs Luke and Jack Norris and uh, holds them while Plant Man makes his getaway on a vine. But Luke Cage busts out of it and also gets Kyle out. Meanwhile, the spores are carrying... Doctor Strange and Red Guardian higher and higher. And then Doctor Strange manages to get his hands free and puts this kind of a cool gesture. You know, he's like face to face and like an inch away from Red Guardian. He puts like a thumb on his far on his temple and a pinky on her temple so that they're both being charged with the same magical spell that frees them from the spores. And the spores just keep going higher and higher because they're not intelligent or anything. They're just going right. to go to their own their own journey to oblivion, as it says here. And then Doctor Strange and Red Guardian land back on the ground, and Jack sees Red Guardian for the first time and says, oh, "That's not Val, right?" Because when he heard, he heard there was a woman and a man in there yep. with Kyle Richmond, he presumed because he reads the yellow box at the beginning of every issue, so he <laughs> presumed there's only one person that woman could be, and that would be Valkyrie, right? Yeah. And this is a fantastic moment. Doctor Strange starts explaining who Red Guardian is, and Jack says, I just want to know where my wife is. And <laughs> Luke Cage, such a great line. A lot of husbands in that situation, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. But that's spoken like a Times Square detective. Right. right? That, that's a lot of his work. Yeah, exactly. It's great. So 
Okay, so now is this the third? I mean, the, the, he was in the um, Luke Cage was in the um, the story with the Wrecking Crew. Yeah, and Sons of the Serpent. This is his right. Third he was hired right. Oh, and, and he was in both. Okay, but now with the Wrecking Crew, I mean, he got paid. I mean, because well, Pennyworth had hired him, so certainly Kyle Richmond was going to. And Kyle ensured that he would get paid. Yeah, he would get paid. Sons of the Serpent. Did he just kind of stumble upon that somehow? I mean. He's just so concerned no, they, that he's not no, going to no. get paid. I know. They called him, and he remember he said, like, I don't got time to help you guys. The Sons of the Serpent are a what? The Sons of the Serpent, you say? That was oh. exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they were they were already involved in that. Like, oh, I have, t- I, I have time to kick those the, guys' asses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For them, I got let time. Let me mark <laughs> off some time in my in my appointment calendar. Yeah, really. <laughs> For some Sons of the Serpent racist ass-kicking. Yes. So now they're putting together. Dr. Strange is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Valkyrie, I thought she was with you. She's not with you? Where's she been? Where's she disappeared to? And Jack starts explaining the whole thing about Shondu attacking them and Aragorn getting wounded and Hulk leaping away. And where the heck is Valkyrie? And now we cut to where the heck is Valkyrie in that prison cell, still sleeping. And uh, that big meanie Bobini is waking her up because it's food time. And Valkyrie says, I don't want to, I don't want to eat. I just want to sleep. And I just want to keep on loving you. <laughs> the the bully says to one of the uh, guards, like, hey, we got a disciplinary problem here. She won't eat. And the guard's like, who cares, you know? But the bully is insisting on, you know, giving Valkyrie a hard time. She kind of knocks her out of bed. And Valkyrie says, if you don't stop, I shall be forced to wring your piggish neck, she says. And the bully woman just laughs and laughs. And um, Valkyrie kind of, realizes how limited her um, power is here. It's kind of an empty threat. An empty threat. And she knows it, even if Bully Woman doesn't know it, because, you know, she's a bully. She figures she can get away with what she wants to. She doesn't realize, you know, that there is an actual reason Valkyrie can't really carry through on anything. So now we cut to Plant Man, where he's coming back to the Celestial Mind Control Center. And he says... I guess I really can't hack it as a solo. I need help for real. And he goes inside. You know, I'm thinking some thoughts about this, but we'll come back to that in a minute. He goes inside and the bald guy says, oh, your friends are making great progress. Too bad you've fallen behind. They're unburdening their minds of extraneous data, a prerequisite to completing your course in celestial mind control. And your friends are in the final phase where they have to basically destroy their previous selves a little like luke skywalker in that cave in uh, empire oh yeah you know it's it's kind of the sort of thing that has been done many times in science fiction or whatever it's like you know to reach the next phase of your life you have to first confront and destroy the previous one it's not super unusual but then we see for the first time that these guys who are still in plain clothes, they're, they're standing there with guns that they're going to shoot their other selves with. And their other selves are the eel and porcupine, Marvel villains who haven't been seen in years because they're pretty lame. I th- Weren't they all, I mean, I, I, you know, they're so lame I didn't even bother to look this up. My impression <laughs> is that they're all, they're all kind of like, they were all like Ant-Man, Wasp yep. villains. 
That's what I thought too. Yeah, I kind of think so. All and Tales to Astonish era. Yeah, yeah, just nothing to write home about. So they're going through this self-assassination process of, you know, getting rid of the, their old selves. And <laughs> Plant Man says, you know, for the second time in the Celestial Mind Control Center, never mind, forget it. I'm not taking part in this after all. This sucks. You guys are idiots. Because now he sees this, and you know, the, the new level of what his friends are doing and thinks this is actually dangerous. And he and I'm not going to let you worm your way into my mind, he says to small, bald man, which suddenly becomes not small, big, sparkly, shiny, scary Nebulon. Right. And Nebulon blasts Plant Man, who collapses on the floor. And Nebulon is saying, we've much to offer one another, Plant Man. I also wish to see the defenders wiped off the place of this planet, face of this planet, but discreetly. None must know it was Nebulon who did the deed. <laughs> I don't know why, but that's what he says. <laughs> so I was just thinking about this for a minute as I was re reading this for the second time today and realizing, like, you know, it's interesting. These are three very minor, like, kind of loser villains. And they're actually great examples that Gerber chose. First of all, nobody cares about them, but, like, to take guys who just are completely meaningless and imbue them with something more through celestial mind control gives them a, an opportunity to sort of show what that is supposed to accomplish for people. So I don't know if the, it'll actually land, but that's sort of what I was thinking. That this is, that this is a good example of celestial mind control? <laughs> that this is, well, yeah, because like now porcupine and eel at least are going to come out of it and be able to do, you know, seemingly be stronger more effective villains than they were before, which is what right. they said going into the thing in the first place. But, you know, like if they put in Dr. Octopus or something, it, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be very impressive to take nobodies and make them something is, is a little more interesting. Right. Oh, well, anyway. So now we're back in Nighthawk's hospital room and they're trying, and Dr. Strange is sort of explaining about, yeah, Val's disappeared. We don't know what's going on. And Luke Cage is still there with him, and and he sort of says, you know, I, you guys are great and everything, but I got to get paid for being a superhero, and I can't afford to just go out and, you know, beat people up pro bono. Um, and I love Red Guardian gets really upset with him and says, you know, you expect to be paid? I'm revolted because of she does what she does in the Soviet Union because she believes so strongly in protecting her fellow citizens. And he's like, okay, you know, I, I've been hassled by the man, too, by the state, too. But <laughs> and Kyle, Kyle sort of stops them and says, dude, I can put you on a retainer. I'll just pay you, and you'll be available when we need you, if that's okay. And I, lo I love Luke Cage says, fine by me, if the numbers are right. <laughs> Meaning, you know, like, as long as we can come to an agreement, fine, great. Yeah, but he's going to get a nice little... Uh, but it also kind of sets up, it's like... I mean, not that it was probably ever really acknowledged in the Luke Cage comic, but it sort of says, hey, if there's, he's always got something coming in, so it certainly lets him you know, be, be choosier in his cases. Right. But yeah, but it's always been, as a, as a superhero, Luke Cage, even though he's hero for hire, often, you know, like a lot of detectives, has a hard time getting paid. <laughs> right. So then Kyle says, now I'd like to talk to Doctor Strange alone, so everyone else get out of here. And 
they do so. And then Kyle starts sort of talking to Dr. Strange about his sort of out of literally out of body experiences he's been having <laughs> and how his consciousness was so weird and detached from reality. And what did it all mean? And is this reality or isn't it? And Dr. Shane says, well, everyone experiences reality different. Does that help? And Kyle says, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I like, am I making myself sufficiently ambiguous? <laughs> that was funny. Yes. But, but um, it is that idea, especially since we've, I mean, and again, I'm reading a lot into it, but it's also that feeling of we haven't been with Nighthawk for, you know, really six or seven issues. Yeah. I mean, the last time I think he was outside, he was in his body, unfortunately, was the Tapping Tommy uh, episode. Right. Because he was kind of, he did kind of theoretically disappear after the Guardians of the Galaxy adventure and had this uh, surgery done. Yeah. So the idea that we've been without Nighthawk, it really is a way, you know, we got to know Nighthawk better in some ways, but we also haven't, haven't, haven't seen him. And it is, I mean, it is that great question of, I was, you know, <laughs> when I was a brain in a body, he, he says, everything seemed so real to me when I didn't have a body. I still uh -huh. thought I was in the real world, even though obviously I was only in my head. How do I know this is the real world? Yes. And I was gonna say, it's a great question. It is a great question. And just asking that question puts you on a path of, you know, self-consciousness and self-awareness that he hasn't been on before. And um, you were, yeah, and especially for guys, and now it's adding up. And I think we see where Gerber is seeing it as, as, as character growth, that now someone, you know, I mean, I think, um, yeah, uh, you and Dr. Strange say it, oh, he's he's being slightly more, you know, spiritual. Right. Yes. It's like the rising and advancing of a rich guy. Right. <laughs> So Dr. Strange sort of leaves and lets him rest, and he's walking down the hallway sort of thinking about, like, our abrasive young tycoon has uncovered his long-buried spiritual side. Right. And then we're at the very end of the issue where Dr. Strange is still walking down that hall and smells something funny, and it's some kind of gas in the air. He starts to lose consciousness just as we see that Luke Cage, Jack Norris, and Red Guardian have all already lost consciousness and are on the ground because they're being gassed by the porcupine and the eel is standing there. And eel is saying, can't figure out why Sam, plant man, had so much trouble with these nobodies. And porcupine is saying his childish need to make a spectacle of himself, to flaunt his power rather than use it, employ it judiciously for maximum effect. That's why. We're his betters now, you and I. The eel and the porcupine. So Went to sea sure. in a beautiful pea-green boat. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure what they're planning to do here with with these unconscious heroes plus Jack Norris. But, I, I, you know, is unconsciousness has really been a recurring theme of the Defenders. These guys are getting knocked out every couple of minutes, it feels like. Defenders yeah. are America's most unconscious... <laughs> yeah yeah i think you're right and, and i i did look it up and it, it's the the uh porcupine was from tales to astonish versus you know ant-man and wasp yep. but eel and plant uh, and plant man had the distinction of probably appearing in one of the really not considered great superhero series of that era the human torch run in strange tales oh yeah those are not very good well, especially the ones that are like, like forget like that he's in the Fantastic Four and act like he's yep. just a 
kid going to high school or something who happens to be the human torch. I was listening to the podcast uh, Make Ours Marvel, which I listened to a bunch of those episodes, and they're a lot of fun. And they were they basically take it month by month from Fantastic Four number one and just talk about every issue. Oh yeah, and it's a lot of fun. But they also try to do kind of what we're doing, which is try to make sense out of these kooky stories. And apparently, in the Human Torch stories, there's a he has a secret identity in high school. But then after a while, they try to reconcile that with the fact that in the Fantastic Four, he does not have a secret identity. And it is revealed that his entire high school has been pretending to not know that Johnny Storm is actually the Human Torch just to humor him because he seems so dedicated to keeping a secret identity. <laughs> right. That's almost like, you know, Stan finally came in at the, at you know. Yeah. In the last issue, and said, "What's going on here? Everybody knows he's the, you know." And I always wonder right. why the human. I mean, did they do the Human Torch series as some way to, you know, be? I, I know probably Goodman had some, you know, from the old days had some affection, but it really seemed, oh, this is a franchise we own. We want to make sure we protect, you know, the bringing back the Human Torch. Yeah, we own him. I mean, Samariner didn't get a get a series or a cover treatment really until the later 67. mid mid sixties. Well, it yeah. would have been like tales to astonish or whatever. Yeah. After, after Ant-Man and giant man and all that is done. But, it, but yeah, it does. It just sort of feels like, like the um, other possibility though, is they may have just been looking for something to anchor strange tales. Right. And they thought, well, kids like the human torch and he's a teen hero. Let's see if that takes off. Anyway, it didn't, it wasn't very good. <laughs> no, and there, but there are the fun ones. I mean, where Kirby does, where the there are the fun ones, like the Beatles one with the thing. There are some of the fun ones that sure. do actually are kind of like little side, little Fantastic Four vignettes, and so there's yeah. a little bit more more fun in them. But yeah, it does seem that left to its own devices, somebody just wasn't paying attention. It was like, whoa, what the hell is going on here? No, and they brought in some writers who were not really well versed in Marvel style writing like uh jerry siegel right and robert bernstein i think wrote a bunch of them and they just did not really fit in that well like stan had to eventually just bring in other people like roy thomas and eventually you know denny o'neill and such there are two things i was gonna say about um kyle richmond in the hospital and i think you had said this once before but it's like okay did the brain transplant wrapped up his head but boy he still has a lot of hair oh yeah (laughs) sticking out and, yep. and and again, this is just a weird comic book thing. Nothing takes me more out of reading dialogue than a hyphenated word. Because I always think there's a way, I mean, from the time I was a copy editor, you probably have, you know, felt this way too. You know, when you, it was always like the challenge to get rid of widows or to do something so you don't have those weird hyphens and things. And so oh, when he's yeah. talking to Red Guardian and he says, enough, can the ideological debate, will you? An idio hyphen logical. And it's just, Suddenly, I mean, comics require so much suspension of disbelief. I know it's a silly thing to to focus on, but I always, I, I would always feel there was a better way. Sure. You know, like maybe you didn't need the enough, you know, uh-huh. to fit to fit it in. I would have, I would have, you know, I would have hoped. And this is like probably one of the first hyphens I even recall seeing as we've. As, oh no, up there's two. Maybe that was the page. That's because two con hyphen secative. So it's just uh-huh. a lot of big words. And 
probably there was also a lot rushing, so no one could say, oh, maybe that does it. But I, I never like it. I don't know. Just I, a minor I, annoyance. You know what? You know, I blame Steve Gerber for using these $10 words. <laughs> Come on, Gerber. Judiciously, instead of, you know, flaunt his power rather than employ it judiciously, you could just say, use it smart. Yeah. Well, you say you didn't hyphenate judiciously. No, no, yes. I just mean, you know, easier words. No, but that's definitely us, one. That's, us that, dummies. That, you use the big word. But, you know, I learned a lot of vocabulary from right, comic yes. books. We'll see if this makes it in. When I was in high school, <laughs> I was taking Latin. And the teacher, very good uh, Latin teacher at my uh, Catholic high school in, uh, mm-hmm. in New York. And he was teaching us, this is like the first day or week of Latin class. And, you know, one of the first words you learn is puer, P-U-E-R, which means boy or child. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's, I think it's puer and then puella or something like that as as girl. Okay. You got the masculine, the feminine, and you know he was trying to make the point that we use Latin every day. We just don't know it because it's part of other words, right? And he, and he and and I think he had done it with a couple other words already, and people you know got got the references. And then he said, "Okay, who can think of a word that you know an English word that we use that is derived from puer?" And everybody was like, you know, someone was like, uh, Puerto Rico? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, that means something completely different. And and I raised my hand and I said, Puerile? And ah. the, cl- the class laughed. Go, like, <laughs> like, that's not a word. <laughs> and the teacher <laughs> goes, that's right. Puerile. What does puerile mean? I said, well, I guess it means, you know, it's childish, right? It means, yes. And, and, uh, and uh, I wasn't asking you. That's what I said to the teacher. No, I, I, I'm just... <laughs> And, I agree. and he asked where I learned it. And I, I actually said I learned it from a comic book just because I wanted to give comic books credit. I actually, it was in, it was an issue of amazing world of DC comics in an interview uh. with Carrie Bates and Elliot Nagin. <laughs> and, I, and I think they, and they were talking about how, you know, how they were, you know, they were the new young Turk, you know, college educated writers, uh-huh. um, you know, liberal arts education, blah, blah, blah. And they said, you know, when we were reading comics, they were considered kind of puerile and we're trying to do something you know, more mature with them. So in mm-hmm. context, I mean, I, I totally got the vocabulary word. And so right. it, it was um, but it literally I had read it like a week, read that interview a week or two before. And I mean, I think I had not heard of that word puerile until that time. Sure. And it's because I saw it written. Like I didn't just hear it. It was a remembrance. Like I, I kept like I closed my eyes uh-huh. and I thought, P-U-E-R, where what? Yeah. So yes, I was the Latin teacher's pet from that point on. That, I'm surprised the Latin teacher didn't just go like, "Comic books, get out of my class." No, he actually said, "Really?" I said, "Yeah, they they use nice. a lot of good words." Wow, <laughs> cool, cool, cool. That was awesome. All right, so let's just talk about the next issue caption for a second, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Because next time it says Nebulon sends sends Doc Strange, the Red Guardian, and Power Man on an exile to oblivion. And again, in addition to being, um, you know, knocked out, exile is again happens all the time. You know, they're over, they're they're yeah. split apart. They're sent to other planets, other dimensions. It's true. Will they ever have, you know, Thanksgiving dinner or something where they can relax for a minute? That that that's more the JSA's kind of thing. No, it's true. Thanksgiving dinner. We're the silent cocktail party in Dr. Strange's place <laughs> when the Avengers and Defenders meet up. Yes. 
Like, just imagine the scintillating dialogue. <laughs> Thanks for listening. This has been episode 17. And until next time, Defenders Dissemble. Please subscribe, leave us a review, tell your friends, and we will see you next time. Superhero, they're the latest, they're the greatest, ultimate superhero.